0: Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye And
1: Mayu, what's going on, everybody? What's new?
0: <laughs> what's new? Uh, I'll tell you what's not new, my mic. I <laughs> Like I've heard in the last couple of episodes, for some reason, when we're recording it, it's perfectly fine. But there's some robotic noise in the background. Um, maybe I need to get a new microphone. So that's not new. I'll tell you what's new. Um, pretty much just that. Uh, I guess same shit, different week, right? Like just, we're still on the wholesaling business. I've been reading this book called Traction um, by Mr. Wickman. Um, It's Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business. And it's all about entrepreneurship and how he created a system called the EOS system and implemented it in several small businesses and even large businesses across North America and the world and how implementing those business practices helped these businesses Scale up and also help the leaders of these businesses um, get more time back in their life, which is really what we both need—a lot of time back in our life yeah. because there's no time.
1: <laughs> I think I started listening. I, I listened to the audio audiobook of Traction. I feel like you have to be at the right point in your business to like really grasp a lot from it. I don't know. Maybe that's just like how I took it. No. Time.
0: So it, like the, I, I I skimmed through the book before. And I didn't get value out of it because you only get value when you read a couple pages then actually do the work. Cause it's like homework. Like it's, it's after every chapter that tells you exactly what to do and you got to do it while you're reading it. Otherwise you're not going to remember anything like for at the, First couple of chapters were saying the importance of a vision, mission statement. Really, no one gives a shit about that stuff. If you read it and then just go through the entire book, you're not going to go back and create visions, mission statement. So as you read the importance of it, you got to sit down, read the key principles on how to create a good mission statement, and then go ahead and, and implement it ASAP, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I feel like that's a lot of books. Um, I'm reading the E-Myth right now. It's Corey's Book Club, um, the book of the month, I guess you call it. Um, but that one that was decent but you know the book who not how um, i thought was like really like just like really mind like eye-opening it's just a concept of like look forget trying to like learn every single thing like there was a point where i was trying to learn how to make my own website right and then once i outsourced it my life was just like 10 times better it's like a way better product than i could have ever done and i spent so much time trying to learn the how rather than just figuring out like who's gonna make it for me and just outsourcing it right
0: yeah. So the how is really like, how am I going to do this? Instead of asking, how am I going to do this, just say, who is going to do this? Yeah. Who do I hire to do this? Right. You don't want to ask how am I going to do these things because with every how there's a who. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. how am I going to do accounting? No. Who is going to do accounting? Which is something we need to do because we've been like <laughs> just grinding away at bookkeeping, which is a ridiculously low value task. But yeah. you know, like we fucking we dig our own grave. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Um, yeah, I guess this week, uh, pretty quiet, just like you said, we're, we're just spending a lot of time bookkeeping. Um, I do think they're like the markets, obviously, like super hot. Um, everyone knows that it's still a very strong like sellers market. But I think a lot of people have just taken the foot off the, like, the, the gas pedal, right? And they're just like, you know what, like they're burnt out, they're tired, they're not really looking. But I think when you start looking at the market again, within certain pockets, like some markets, there are like low hanging fruit, like opportunities, right? It's just about like getting back in touch with the markets and like I don't know. Like I think a lot of people flocked away from Windsor um, and you and I are both seeing like some opportunity plays in Windsor. Right. Um, I
0: think it's all across the board. Yeah. Like in Toronto, like for these suburban houses, what was once having 20, 30 walkthroughs is now struggling to even hit double digits, like 10 walkthroughs, right? Not for all properties, but but I've heard from a fair amount of agents that that is the case. So things are slowing, slowing down. Um, more supplies hitting the market, but also like we just never know. Cause now it's going to head over to the spring market. Like shit changes so quickly. Like just yeah. uh, it's weird. Like there's no slow, there's no um kind of easing into the slowdown or easing into price increase. It just hit one way or the other, just like overnight. So um, yeah, I mean, we're keeping an eye out for opportunities, but we haven't pulled the trigger on anything just yet. Um, Cause sellers obviously are not willing to part with anything at a discount. Cause it's still, still a good market. Um, but just hoping things change a bit so we can start buying.
1: Yeah. I think, I think this week's episode with Quentin is perfectly timed for it, but I guess fair disclosure to everyone else and to Quentin, we did record this episode back in January. So it's a little bit dated now, but we were just like all over the place with that. We recorded a bunch of episodes and we uh, took our sweet old time to release them. But uh, this episode with Quentin, I think we talk a lot about the market and and different like intricacies in it and different strategies that people are doing in Quentin's own journey. So I think it was a great episode.
0: Uh, yeah, and for those who don't know who Quinton is, full name Quentin De Souza, uh, he's an OG real estate investor, um, super successful. Uh, he's, I would say, one of the pioneers of Canadian real estate investing. Um, not like the first person who did it, but really started pushing it out to average everyday individuals to, to start investing as well. He's had a couple of books he published under his belt, which ended up being like, they're pretty much Canadian real estate classics. And he has his most recent book, The Action Taker's Real Estate Investing Planner. Um, Quentin is is huge in the education system. So he took all the principles he learned there and he kind of created a system and a planner to help people keep accountable towards their goals in real estate investing. Um, yeah. So this episode is phenomenal. We talk about so many different topics instead of summarizing it, because again, we, we jump through so many topics. Why don't you guys give this one a listen um, from one of the greatest in Canadian real estate. Um, you're going to enjoy this episode. Hello everyone. We are joined with our very, very special guest, Quentin D'Souza. Quintin, how are you today? Well, oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me. How's how's the spice lava? Quentin was just finishing up kimchi spicy soup. I <laughs> see a bit of sweat on there. Getting him yeah. amped up. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, I love the spice. So a little bit uh, at lunch really gets me going. So I love to have one of those.
1: Love it. Love it. Yeah. So for so Quentin, for anyone that doesn't know you, uh, we generally just like to ask our guests give uh, a high level like background on themselves and like their story.
2: Yeah, sure. So I started uh, investing in real estate in 2004, uh, while I was a teacher in the Toronto, uh, Toronto School Board, and um, got, um, uh, I was doing a whole bunch of other things at the time I was investing in stocks, I was doing, um, uh, working on websites, uh, you know, and just different types of things. And I found that real estate was the, the, the business that Uh, did the best for me over the first few years of doing it. And um, it has uh, consistently been a great real estate, like a great asset class for me, real estate. And um, I uh, just continued with it probably back in 2008, I would say is where I really started to get into it. I was buying um, four, four properties a year at that time. And continued to scale. Sometimes I would buy like um, you know uh, six or seven properties. I um, you know I flipped a bunch of properties, like twelve in in one year. Uh, when I quit my job in 2014 uh, as a as a teacher, and um, and I, I don't know when I quit my job, the first month in July I made more money on one flip than my whole year. of teaching and I was like oh man (laughs) I should have done this earlier right and um, the thing is I had already built the portfolio of properties that time and I could have probably left a year or two earlier but I was really conservative I have um, a young family or I had a young family now my kids are like 16 and 13 but um, and I was a little scared about doing it I think and uh, I just you know, sometimes you just got to jump and do it. But 2014, I did. Uh, I started flipping properties. I've, um, you know, I've written uh, four books now. Uh, you can get them on Amazon if you're interested. But uh, yeah, I've written four books and, you know, continue to invest in real estate. Last year, I bought a number of apartment buildings, uh, an 11 unit, nine unit, um, and a 23 unit apartment building. I also bought a two-unit duplex conversion uh, right at the height of COVID, when everybody was scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. April bought it for five hundred in Bowmanville. It's probably worth like seven twenty-five, seven fifty now.
0: Yeah. that's some juicy appreciation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. well, <laughs> love it. Yeah. yeah.
2: So you know, uh, short and long of it, man. I have uh, about thirty-four million in assets under management in Canada and the U.S. Um, have multiple streams of income. Uh, invest in businesses now um, you know have my, have a have a couple of small businesses and you know just um, enjoying what I do real estate is still the backbone of all of that and um, I really I really think that everybody should own uh, investment real estate as a way for them to gain financial freedom add to their net worth but you have to really understand you know where you're starting from and where you want to go and have a plan to
0: do that. And that's why I wrote that um, that last book. <laughs> I think we're definitely going to dig into there's, there's a lot to dig into. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to start off from the very beginning. Um, Quentin. Okay. we told you a bit earlier, our audience are newer investors getting in the game. And a lot of the time, we look at these super successful investors, and we think it's impossible to get there. Little do they know that you went through that journey, right? It wasn't all roses for you. There's a lot of shit that you had to like navigate through to get to where you are today. So let's get into that. In the early moments of your real estate investing journey, um, what were some of the obstacles you had to go overcome, and how was that growth like in the early stages? Because I'm sure the information is not as abundant as it is today
2: yeah yeah for sure there is a lot more information out there um you know with regards to how to do things but um i i was i was doing uh, in 2008 i was buying properties that needed work i was uh fixing them and then uh, i was refinancing them in order to to push the value up and then and holding them to rent and my my key was to to basically um get that uh, the value of the property cash flowing at the after repair value uh, now everybody calls it uh, the brrr okay <laughs> but usable. yeah, yeah but her. this the strategy has existed for decades so it's not that it hasn't it's just another acronym uh you know we have a book uh, i wrote it with two friends of mine uh, the ultimate wealth strategy that's on the strategy, on that process. <laughs> but that's how I kind of started. And the reason why it made sense for me to do, and it still makes sense today for anybody to do, is that you're able to leverage the refinance. As long as it cash flows and you've got a good you know, pocket on the after repair value, you can really leverage the amount of funds that you put into a property. And, and that helped a ton for me to get started. Also, you know, extending like getting lines of credit Um, before I started to build my portfolio was the smartest thing I did right accessing those lines of credit before I needed it because once you start to build um, your portfolio, people aren't gonna like it's funny, like my net worth is like, um, probably over eight figures. And if I went to go to get a line of credit, uh, like from like an unsecured line of credit,
0: I probably couldn't get it. (laughs) It's what's funny is I just recently applied for every bank for a line of credit all of them have turned me down, except for one, except for one.
2: Yeah. So once you, and that's like, that's something that if you were to have done that before you built your portfolio, then usually they don't take it away from you. Right. The only one that I know that's kind of done that in the past is uh, RBC, but as long as you're using it or utilizing a piece of it, then, then you're okay. But um, you know, so those things, even today, you could still do that and still succeed. And, and so I had actually, um, uh, I don't know, like if I was psychic or something, but I, I was like, oh, I better get these lines of credit now while they're giving it to me. <laughs> so I was able to get like, um, you know, a hundred thousand dollar line of credit, unsecured, and I was like, wow, this is awesome, right? And then uh, so I was able to leverage that uh, using. Um, the um, buy fix refinance rent or B B R R R whatever you want to call it okay um, you're you're able I was able to do that leverage it and then I I supercharged the process by adding uh, joint venture partners into the mix so I think probably about 2009 2010 I started to take on joint venture partners um, you know doing various strategies and. You know, I did, like, I did rent-to-owns, I did, like, uh, wholesale deals, like, just, just, like, everything, and, um, you know, just, uh, I experimented with things that I wanted, but I always had the buy-and-holds in there. Everything flowed back into the buy-and-holds, and and, uh, that served me quite well over time, because even, I gotta say, I'm gonna go all over the place, but, like, (laughs) So those, like, remember, I talked about those properties that I flipped, like the 12 yep. properties mm-hmm. in, in one year that I flipped. If I held on to those properties, I would have had probably in excess of three, four million dollars. Right. <laughs> from the from just the and I could have refinanced it, could have held the properties, that sort of thing. Right. So but I'm
1: sure you took that money in. And- reinvested and grew it into a couple million dollars as well right
2: (laughs) yeah that's true and and that's the that's the thing with a good plan it can help you to do that so when i wrote out my quarterly plan at that time i was you know the flips were part of that and they were leveraged into buying into apartment buildings Mm. right or smaller buildings at that time now i'm into (sighs) bigger buildings and there's a different reason for that but you know definitely you know there's some opportunities to 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 um you know uh, scale up faster
1: yeah so when you when you first got started you were doing like the smaller properties the single family houses I'm assuming duplexes like those kind of things mm-hmm. um, up until so then that was from 2004 up until 2014 when you quit your job so I, I'm yeah. just curious like at what like what made you decide now's the time to quit my job I'm I'm just done like what was that transition like the decision making like
2: Yeah, it was kind of scary at the time because I I had like what I had done is I practiced for the year before practice having cash flow excess of, you know, what I needed a month, which was like four or five thousand dollars a month uh, at the time, right? And I needed to practice that, and I wanted that to come from the property portfolio that I had, Mm -hmm. and so that that's what um, that's you know that's what gave me the confidence to do it. Also. Once I quit my job, all these other income sources started to come out, like people were asking me to coach them. And then there were and then there were um, then I had the books and then I was doing flips and then I was doing like rent to owns and stuff. So there was lots of different kind of pieces that came into play once that happened. But, uh, you know, going into it, you know, there was some fear. Uh, I talked to a lot of people and, uh, you know, I think uh, I like I said, I probably could have done this a lot lot earlier but um, you know I think I, for me it was the right time and then once I did it I just you know put my head down and I worked really hard for the first like year or two years and um, you know after that it was pretty much it was pretty easy you know I figured out you know how to how, how to put the right people into my business and and how to like plan it out better how to um, you know work on uh You know uh, bigger goals bring them down into like uh, quarterly goals and then into weekly goals and then and then achieve those every week and that's that's helped
0: that's awesome so it sounds like you did have a structure or game plan in mind before you leaving your job like a lot of the newer investors i find that that have hit financial freedom relatively quickly just because again like the market's been appreciating monstrously um, after they retire, they end up not doing much for the first couple of months. I hear this time and time again. Um, and I just am I recently retired from my job. The like last days, February twenty-sixth. I don't really have a game plan, to be honest with you. But it's, it's nice to hear what you've been doing. So I can kind of mimic that I can kind of set my goals. So when I end my job, I can just jump into real estate with the plan. So I like that you mentioned that.
2: Yeah, it's it's a great idea, and you know what what I would suggest for you or anybody who's thinking about something similar is to find other people who have already done what you wanted to do in the business that you're doing, and see like one if they're willing to like uh, uh, mentor you, uh, the other one is to coach you, or just be able to hang out with them, like you know uh, buy them lunch if they're willing to do that, that sort of thing. Like I don't do coaching anymore, so it's just not it's not worth my it's not that it's not worth my time. I find it. I, I like helping people, but I just do that in a different way now. But um, mm-hmm. if I, th- that would be my best suggestion to you and that that will really help to level you
0: up. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate that uh, advice, Quinton. Um, and you've been in the real estate game, as you mentioned, for a while now. And um, what are some things I'm curious to hear your perspective? What are some things that newer investors are doing now or, or some common mistakes that you see a lot of new investors have, right? Because a lot of us are trying to grow as aggressively as possible. And some of us are getting into situations where we're way over leveraged. We're talking about over a hundred percent loan to value, <clears throat> Mayu.
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I do quite quite religiously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on on kind of the new philosophies of investing and, and using the new school investing and is there any mistakes that we're making?
2: Well, I I think the new school is the old school. It's just in a different package, right? It's people have been over leveraging for a long time. And, you know, things, things happen in cycles, real estate moves in cycles. And we all we have a a cycle that we're in right now, which is in in a boom phase. But eventually we move into a slump. And when we move into that slump, everybody who's over leveraged, it's kind of like, when a wave comes in at the beach, it washes out all the, you know, people who are over leveraged and then everybody comes back in and all, it's all fresh again. Right. And so. <laughs> right. Uh, And I'm not saying that like you can you can be over leveraged from a time. And usually what happens is people at the beginning of their real estate investing journey, they have to leverage themselves in order to grow. That's part of the process. The key is to bring down that leverage as quickly as possible. And you can do that in a number of ways that are easy. So instead of see, some people think that they all they 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 just have to do it themselves. Right. And they over leverage themselves because they feel they have to do it themselves. But instead, if they took on a partner who could bring down that that risk and share the risk, you know, they would be into the product, they would get the cash flow, but they wouldn't have the same risk. And I think that's the that's the key when it comes to this. It's how you mitigate risk over time. There's lots of different ways to mitigate risk in real estate investing. And the key for you is to figure out before you go into a project, what are my plan A? What's my plan B? What's my plan C? How am I mitigating the risk? What happens if uh, like when I stress test the portfolio? What happens when interest rates change? What happens if equity changes? Right. Right. toronto market right now condo market is a good example of that right um if you you know you could be um in trouble particularly if rents go down four or five hundred i've heard eight hundred thousand yeah right Mm -hmm. so and this is this is an example of what happens now maybe this is short term maybe it's a year maybe it's two years whatever right but at the same time if you weren't in a position with a plan a plan b plan c now you're going to be the guy who's the motivated seller and I'm going to find you and I'm going to get a deal. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and usually you do find that from like, I mean, some of, uh, I used to find deals on Kijiji, man, like, uh, and Craigslist and stuff like that. Boy, back in the Craigslist days, I bought properties because motivated landlords, right? Like they, you know, they're a business owner and they have this or they're, you know, a teacher and they have this property and they're having problems. And they don't know how to deal with it. And the rents have gone down, the quality of tenants, that sort of thing. And, you know, for me, I'm a fixer, right? I fix problems. And that's how I make money by fixing problems. And, um, you know, I'll take on a difficult tenant. I mean, we, we just got rid of two tenants in one, of, in one building that cost me $10,000 each and lost rent. Okay. That's a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you were new you start off in something like that, you're going to run like a, and so I'm (laughs) going to buy that property from you. But for (laughs) me, like when I look at that, the way that I, in an apartment building, for example, when I look at the jump in rents that happened, when I turned over those two units, the value of the building actually increased by $250,000, right? Because of cap rate and because of, changing it out from, and the tone of the building changed. I got rid of the worst of the worst, right? Now, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, this is pretty nice. I don't mind living yeah. here, <laughs> right? And so that's really helped quite a bit.
1: So, so I'm curious, Quentin, if you yeah. quit your job in 2014, at what point did you start buying these like apartment buildings?
2: Mm, I probably started buying apartment buildings in
1: 2015,
2: and then oh, so pretty co-
1: Pretty soon after you quit. Yeah, then I guess so you're I- dealing also with like commercial financing, like better terms mm-hmm. for someone that's self-employed. So then for a lot of people that are like just getting started, um, like I know myself in Austin, we're starting to look at more bigger multis now, but that's after having done a whole bunch of single families, a whole bunch of duplexes and like triplexes and stuff like that. Um, but multifamily gets a lot of like, like a lot of people really like hype it up. They see really good things about multifamily investing strategy and so on. But You know, do you recommend that for someone just getting started? Like, like, how do you decide what the right product is for you?
2: Well, if you're just getting started, I suggest you work with somebody who has experience. You can always partner with somebody. I'm available. (laughs) You you can, you can always partner with somebody who has more experience and and able to learn how to get that to the place where you want it to go. The problem with multifamily is that by the time it gets to the MLS and everybody sees it, it's like it's overpriced, like, right. you know, it just doesn't make sense. And, um, and that's the, the real challenge. And so like, typically, all the buildings that I buy are pocket listings, they're not listed, I know the owner directly, I have a good network of people that I can, um, that I've reached out to that that connect with me, I, I've marketed privately to them, whatever it is, right. And so, um, and then, you know, uh, get some education, and like, Holy cow. There's so many, like when I, when I got started, there weren't that many uh, opportunities to get educated, but like you got this podcast here, you've got like uh, meetups all over the place. Like, you know, like we, I, I do tons of like, uh, like uh, video training and stuff like that. Like all of the things that are available now weren't available. And the thing is, is that like what drives me like batty, in, I could say other words, but I'm just going to use that. Um, is that like uh you know, somebody wants to buy a $500,000 asset, but won't spend $50 on a book. Educating. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the great, worst. Great the risk worst. mitigation <laughs> yeah.
2: strategy. Well, that's, that's awesome. You know, and usually those people are the ones coming to me afterwards. Quentin, I've, you know, I bought this a million dollar property in Markham. And, you know, it's, I'm losing $1,000 a month. And, you know, it hasn't appreciated. And this is a true story. Uh, (laughs) Now, what do I do? Well, you know what, you could have spent a little bit more time educating yourself and now understand, you know, what the end value is, what your rents are, and how you can create cash flow. And you can create cash flow in lots of markets, even Toronto. Mm -hmm. Okay, you just have to be you have to you have to think outside the box maybe instead of you know that taking a uh, buying that condo in downtown Toronto and I don't want to offend anybody because I'm sure I will anyways uh, um, you go to Scarborough and you buy a single family house and you figure out well in Scarborough I can actually do like two units and I can have three units now Because, you know, Toronto's has more flexibility with additional dwelling units, Mm -hmm. I can have a legal three units. Now I'm actually cash flowing on this uh, single family home, because I'm taking it to its highest and best use for that area right? Um, So there's, there's lots of different ways to to go about this. And, and I think that, you know, if you want to be, if you want to take the time to learn, you can really do well in this business. And there's lots of money for everybody, right, to to be made. Um, It's it's not like a shortage of it. But if you, you know, if you, um, if you, if you're not willing to learn, and you're only willing to listen to a few people, then you're going to get what they know, Uh which is probably not what a professional real estate investor knows, right? Um, And so you want to explore those people, build a good team, get a good realtor, get a good mortgage broker, get a good insurance person, talk to um, other investors who are already doing what you want to do, and then find out what they're doing, where they're investing, what makes sense for them, right? And, And watch out who those people are. Because um, uh, sometimes they may have ulterior motives. I'm not a realtor. I'm not a mortgage broker. Uh, I don't really care whether you buy. Like, honestly, it's not going to affect my pocketbook, whether you buy real estate or not. I don't care. I'm telling you that it's done well for me. And then, I, you know, from being a, a teacher, which I think is a highly respected profession, to a business owner which I I feel is a respected profession as well. Like, and, and being able to do that by providing good, safe housing for people. I think it's a, it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I think, I think you, it's perfect the way you phrased it, right? Like a lot of people are not willing to spend $50 on educating themselves yet. When they go to university, go to college, they, you know, you're spending 200 bucks on a textbook on a textbook, not even the course. Right. and, and like enrolling in cooking class, I, those are important skill sets, right? But they're willing to spend a thousand to, to learn how to cook, to do hobbies and stuff like this. But when it comes to your actual finances, they're not willing to put in any money, education, time, or effort for finances. And it's funny you mentioned that, Quentin. I think Mayu and I, we get this quite a bit as well. People reach out to us and say, hey, can you analyze this deal? Uh, I'm not completely opposed to it, but let me see your work. They didn't do anything. I'm like, I'm not going to I'm not going to be there and hold your hand on how to analyze this exact deal. You need to show me you put in some sort of effort. Right. And then I'll help you out. But yeah, what what I I like
1: what I like to tell people is like, honestly, if you were if you did your BBA undergrad or whatever, and you want to move up in some sort of like corporate industry or whatever, you're at some point, you're going to get some sort of a professional designation, MBA something. Right. So I called my first like major like coaching investment, like five figure coaching investment, I just called it my MBA in real estate.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was like,
1: look, this is what's going to really help me like level up my real estate investing. And I justified it to myself that way. And so many people would drop 40 grand, 50 grand, more than that on an MBA, but are hesitant to drop like 20 on, a, on coaching. Right. So um, I think, yeah, I think I'm we're on, on the same <laughs> page. So. I,
2: I spend $20,000 a year on, on coaching. and yeah. And I do like, I don't know if you've heard of strategic coach, um, you know i'm part of the entrepreneur organization uh, you know um, there's there's lots of really high level groups out there that i've i've participated in and and, and am in and uh, you know i think that investing in yourself is important and um, you know getting an education is important i i don't know everything you know like i'm still learning i, I learn about lots of different things and um, you know I, I i do like to share my knowledge and that's why i write books and that's why i have the like uh, Durham REI, right? Like, that's why I do that because I I still have that teacher in me, right? And, you know, the the book was like, um, the last book that I, that I wrote was really to, because I'm not coaching anymore, I wanted to give the framework that I used for coaching out to the world, basically. And, um, and so that's what I did, like the first half of the book is actually a book, it's about 100 pages, the last half of the book is like a planning guide. So it gives you like it breaks down um, goals so that you can do quarterly goals, uh, wealth tracking, know where you are in your phase of real estate investing, uh, you know, overall, um, you know, what areas you need to work on. And then from um, um, every week you work on goals that help you achieve your quarterly goals. And so that, I mean, and that was the framework that I use when I was working with um, uh, real estate investors. And I've had lots of success. Like my, um, I, oh man, I think of so many people that have done so well. And um, you know what, uh, it, and actually recently too, too recently, uh, Paul, um, uh, Paul Panuce, who who's left his job as a teacher? Congratulations, Paul! And you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know and, and he's doing flips and is doing you know that uh, um, uh, buying holds and taking on partners and then uh, uh, Callie uh, Bra- Brathwith. Um, same thing. Steam fitter made 120K a, a year, and you know, he's able to focus on his real estate investing. And that's just in the last couple months. But again, I'm not doing that anymore. Ah, oh,
1: damn, <laughs> uh, you're just no, like, dangling no, the carrot. No, <laughs> no, <I don't>, sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. So what was the name of the book, Quintin, yeah. if you don't mind? Oh,
2: sorry. Yeah, it's the uh, uh action action takers uh action takers real estate investing planner. Right. And then so like um inside inside it. Oh, I don't know if we're doing like video stuff, but <laughs> but inside this might it, make it to YouTube. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's like you can see that the first half of the book is the the um like explaining how to use the planner, and yeah. then the last half is the like the quarterly wow. plans and then uh weekly plans, like how to how to do that and how to plan out your week as a real estate investor because uh, it's not the same as other businesses. So when I when I was working with coaching clients every week, I would have them focus on, okay, what are you doing for finding properties? What are you doing for funding properties? What are you doing for financing properties? Those three Fs are really important every week for real estate investors to do. And um, if you're not doing that each week, you're not going to... Um, accelerate your real estate investing business you know um, another thing is I I have this um, uh, eat the frog type of uh, concept right I'm sure you've heard that before Mm -hmm. Um, and it it really it's the it's the same concept do the hardest thing at the beginning of the week and it should be something that makes you uncomfortable and I like even on my (laughs) I have a weekly plan here that I do And um, the one of the um, one of my the challenging tasks for me this week was I needed to talk to a neighbor that I wanted to to buy their property from them, who's not selling right and who's like, uh, because I could do a land development deal uh, on that particular land and and so what did I do I had that for Monday at, you know, 9am, you know, this is the task that we're that I'm going to be doing this week right and every week I do a task like that. So you know what. What that does, it gives me like it makes every other task easier to do the next time because I've got that mindset, you know, this is I got to do it, got to do it. I, you know, we have like this um, battery and it's like a willpower battery. Okay. And, and the battery depletes by the time we get to the end of the day. That's why it's easier for you to work out at the beginning of the day than it is at the end of the day, because your willpower battery, you've made all these decisions and then your willpower battery is kind of depleted at the end. Right. And the same thing happens at the beginning of a work week, whether you're like, you know, working or you own a business at the beginning of the week, that battery is really high. And so if you can get that hard task done at the beginning, it makes it so much easier than and, you know, people put off, put off, put off till the end of the week, never get, never gets done. Right. And yeah. so this is like the, and that's why, like, you know, when I was working with my coaching clients, I, I would push them to do it the hardest task at the beginning of the week to get it done. And then they can move on to doing, you know, the other tasks that they have that brings them closer to their quarterly goal, which takes them to their 10 year goal and, you know, how they, how they decide to plan their life. Right. Like people should be doing like vision boards or letters to themselves or like, you know, what, what my life looks like 20 years from now. Right. Because once you've written that down and have that vision and, you know, put it somewhere, you are naturally going to be going towards that because your quarterly goals are going to, I don't do yearly goals, by the way. I only do quarterly goals because people who do yearly goals, what do they do? January, they write down their goals. And then they look at it back in December and go, oh, man, <laughs> those that's are my so goals. <laughs> right? So, yeah. you know, that's why I only do quarterly goals, right? So you do focus on what I'm going to do this next 90 days. And then at the, the next quarter, I write down my next quarterly goals and do the same thing. And I, I do exactly what I have in the book, like, uh, you know, quarterly goals, weekly goals um, and get and and that's how I progress and have progressed so and scaled up my business over the, the time. And, you know, uh, I think that I, I don't want to I don't want that to disappear. I want other people to get that. And that's why I, I put it together in the book.
0: Love it. So for those who are not looking at the video version, I don't even know. if my, we're going to probably put a video version, right? Yeah, we, yeah. We'll discuss it. <laughs> we haven't done it before, but we, no, we can we, start we, now. We've been <laughs> talking about doing it
1: for a while now. Yeah. We never do it. <laughs>
0: but, but for those who are not watching the video version, as you're flipping through the book, I'm very impressed. So I've never, I've read yeah. multiple real estate books. I've never read one where you have content, then, then homework, like literally kind of like a curriculum. It's it's a curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's yeah. So
1: it's you have a few books that have like a few pages <laughs> where you can like write things in, but this is like legitimately like a good chunk of pages it's a work, that it's you can a workbook. use as like a yeah. planner for the rest of the year or something. Yeah,
2: that's right um, for the whole year. That's what yeah. what's the idea is behind it. And and the, the idea is that you 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 open it, you crack it open and you put it flat on your desk and you look at it every day right? That, that's the idea behind it. And uh, I don't know if like some people might recognize it. it's like it reminds me of the old school phonics books, right? <laughs> like, it's like an old school phonics books. My sons in
1: uh, Austin probably had no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, I no, don't. No. That's okay. That's the teacher thing again. But, I, uh, I am. I'm looking at your book right now on Amazon, and I'm most likely gonna be ordering it right now. So it's a great book.
0: Is that the best site to get it from? From Amazon?
2: Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, you can actually go to uh, Action Taker, uh, Action Taker Real Estate uh planner.com
0: be in the show notes by the way guys
2: yeah and then uh, what i did was i wanted to make sure that anybody who's listening to the podcast gets a special discount so if you if you actually buy like the the goal achievement package up there it's like ten dollars off with the code uh,
0: rise so hey we know. got our own code yeah got <laughs> awesome. your own code man <laughs> Love it. Thanks. Thank you, Quentin. Yeah, Um, no problem. I I also wanted to dig into Durham REI a bit. So you mentioned that you had a a ton of experience coaching, whether that be organizing a meetup, whether that be one-on-one coaching, group coaching. Um, So you've seen a lot of people in the real estate industry. And I was wondering, and we touched on this a bit, but um, are there any particular skill sets, personalities, um, attitudes, that make a successful investor successful because you've seen people with zero properties or one or two properties blow up scale up the portfolio able to retire from their job what have you noticed as the commonalities between these people
2: okay so uh, one is that they're a relationship builder they're somebody who actually focuses on how to build a relationship with people um, I, you would have thought I was going to say like finding deals or stuff like that. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. it's being a relationship builder um, that like um, real estate is not bricks and mortar. Real estate is people. And the more and deeper relationships you have and the, uh, the strength of those relationships will carry you through the ups and downs. Second one is doing what you say. I do what I say. And if anybody like knows me when we do a deal, when we do anything, raise money, I'm gonna like uh, partner, whatever it is. Uh, like I, my reputation is. What I have, right, and I defend my reputation like there's there's no tomorrow, right. And there are always going to be people who want to bring you down, and you're going to keep pushing to bring yourself up, right. So you know having that good reputation, and and the third one I would say is constantly learning, right. i uh, I see those people always trying to push themselves to learn more. Uh, they you know they'll do coaching with me, then they'll go and look at um, you know maybe they'll go to um, Tony Robbins event. At, uh, upw or they are investing in themselves they'll go learn uh, stock option trading like they, they keep investing in themselves in order to uh to continue to grow and and that's how um that's where i see those people kind of scale the other one um, um i would say is that they hang around other people that have already uh done what they wanted to do like what they want to do Right. Uh, they they will either volunteer their time with them or they'll pay them or they will, you know, um, you know, try and and connect with them in different ways, uh, offer them uh, opportunity, you know, something that keeps them connected together. How can I help you? Right. That's that's the type of um, thing that I've seen from those people. and. Um, you know, uh, and you see really like amazing successes in people, right? There's lots of good examples in Ontario. And I really feel that anybody can do it. It's not like I'm not special, like, dude, I'm not special. I'm just a, like, a guy. I'm a, just a teacher, man. Like, I'm just like everybody else, <laughs> right? I'm not like this special person. But, um, but the thing is, like, you know, I continue to learn and grow. I continue to develop relationships, right? I uh and I do what I say I'm going to do. Like I I reached out because I know Austin Right. And I've connected with Austin and I met Austin. He came out to Durham REI, right. Like, like I've like these relationships I, I built and um, and that's, and that's, that's part of like what I do. Right. And it's also how I have such a large network of people that I can reach out to. And, and, you know, hopefully may like one day I'm going to die. I, I know I'm going to die. Um, and one day I will. And I hope that I have a hell of a lot of people that say, man, he really helped me. And he really did something for me. And, you know, whether it was just like giving me a little bit of advice or inspired me a little bit or, you know, whatever it was. And I think that that will be a good legacy for me to leave when I'm not here. I've got my two boys, but I think, you know, um, you know, from a legacy perspective, I would love to be able to have that. And, you know, I am getting older, right. I'm, I'm not 50 yet, but like I'm getting older and I think about that sort of stuff now. Right. I want I want that legacy to, to live on. And Durham REI for me is like, I I've taken, I'm starting to take all my coaching material and I'm moving it into the, the membership community there. And, you know, it's been, it's been fun.
0: That's interesting. So that (laughs) mindset shift probably didn't happen overnight when you were starting it's probably accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. (laughs) Then as you got more experience, and you became more accomplished, you're like, "Hmm, maybe maybe now it's time to shift my goals more into the legacy path, right?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a good like a good question I mean I think that I um, the way that I started off at the beginning was like I focused on cash flow in order to leave my job um, and then by by doing that I, I kind of focused on financial freedom right and then I moved from financial freedom to like uh, like a legacy to my children and and at the same time as moving from a, a legacy for my children I was like Okay. let's let's like leave a legacy that like makes an impact on the world and, um, you know, however that is. And the people that that I associate with and, um, you know, there are people that will bring you down and there will be people that will bring you up. And I always try to associate with the people that bring you up. And, um, you know, that's why I'm I, I here, right? Like, uh, Rise, bringing me up. Here we go.
1: <laughs> that's awesome, Quentin. So I think everyone, every, everyone's just, you know, trying to get ahead of where things are headed in the market, um, obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, but I'd just be really curious to hear, like, where do you see the biggest potential in the market right now? Like, it could be single families. You could say duplexes, Maltese. You could say Ontario, Alberta, none of it. Like, I don't know. But just overall, like, where do you see the biggest upside potential? Whether it's like cash flow invest, like just overall strong investing, right? So you want cash flow, but you also want undervalued properties that have significant upside potential.
2: You know, I think there are a lot of great markets. I think you've got to be careful that you don't get into too small of a market. I think people are like dying for cash flow, and they're getting into these really, really small markets that are affected by like one employer, and that one employer changes, and all of a sudden that the town is done. Right, and that that's problematic. The other one is like you know, really small northern communities, like uh, provinces, where they they see like cash on cash numbers. It's like, oh, this is amazing, right? Yeah, but then, I was
1: joking about none of it. Like I was not yeah, here, yeah. <laughs>
2: but I mean, like they, they're, they're, that's happening a lot, right? And I think that the key, um, you know, for, like I can't tell what the future is, but I can tell you in uh, April 2020, they started to do quantitative easing in Canada. We have never done that. We didn't do that in 2008. We're doing it now. The base money supply is increasing at a staggering rate. That, that base money supply is, is huge. And so that money needs to go somewhere. And it's not going to I hate I'm not I don't want to offend anybody, but like, it's not going to the guy who's going to buy something at the store. Okay, that's too much money. It's that's not where it's going for. It's it's going into the like big institutional money, right? That's where that that's that's going to. And you know where they want to where they want to put that? They want to put that into like long-term mortgages on like uh, big residential properties or you know big businesses like you know like a Rogers or Bell where they can take a like a large amount of money in, and that's where the, that's where the the funds are going. And what you're seeing is that those properties are becoming more and more valuable. I've seen like uh, uh, on 20 unit, 40 unit apartment building competition, like it's like a house in, in like Toronto, (laughs) man, like 20 50 offers and like multiple offers with no conditions and all like, you're just like, what the, what happened? Like everything's kind of, but you know what I think like, like opportunities. I, I think that if you ever wanted to buy uh, condo in downtown Toronto, and, like just for yourself, you probably should buy it now <laughs> while everybody <laughs> else is, because everybody else is freaking out, man. Yeah, yeah like this yeah. is the time. Like this, it wasn't the time when everybody was buying. It's this is the time now. Yeah. So if you if if you always wanted a place by the Rogers Center so that you can have fun buy it now man (laughs) right but but if you want to make if you want to make money you're gonna have to go outside of the 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 city center Uh, Durham is still okay I would probably go out as far as Curtis uh, Bowmanville maybe Peterborough right Um, Kingston even uh, numbers are looking good out there bigger centers like um, Cambridge Uh, London, you know, numbers are working. When you're investing in real estate, there are opportunities everywhere. You remember you are a transaction engineer, okay? Be a transaction engineer. Figure out how to make the numbers work for you and so that you can create cash flow and get appreciation. Um, You have to have a mindset of and, not or. Okay, this is what what I have a really, I have a problem with people say I can do this, or I can do that. Wrong. You have to say, how can I do both of these things? Okay, and you want to figure it out. So you can do cash flow, and you can do appreciation in Ontario. I've seen it. I see it every day. You have to be able to figure that out. And like crystal ball wise. You know, short term, I'm bullish, medium term, I think all of these areas where we had people going out, they're going to be coming back into the city core eventually, not the same way, uh, and not in, in the same amount, but they will be coming back. Long term, I still see huge uh, uh, appreciation, my 10-year point of view, and, and that's the way I like to look at real estate, 10, 15, 20-year point of view. I'm very bullish in the long term holding real estate. Uh, particularly in areas close uh, around the GTA and those larger centers, uh, I still am not really like hot on um, smaller centers, just because we're able to get cash flow. But like you know, something happens and something changes, and then all of a sudden, your high vacancy rate rents are coming down, and you know things are are, are going the wrong direction, and. Um, one other thing is like the landlord tenant board isn't it's a mess <laughs> you have right like you have it takes you 10 12 months to get through the landlord tenant board how do you do that as a like a, a person who has one property it's scary this is like like this is like the guy go- oh, oh, i don't know man should we get into this or not
0: <laughs> Let, let's do it
2: but yeah. this is like the government um putting out of business um like mom and pop. Uh, restaurant owners and shop owners, just the same as they're doing to like big box stores and the little restaurants, same thing, doing exactly the same thing to, to small landlords. Why? Because a REIT can, I'm getting mad. Sorry. (laughs) A a REIT can, can, can withstand, you know, 10 units at $10,000 a a year non-payment. They'll be able to make it no problem. That small landlord that has one property or two properties and they, it takes them, a year or two years to get to the landlord-tenant board, they are going to be screwed. Mm-hmm. They are going to lose their house. They're going to be putting it up from the market. They're going to be in trouble. And the truth of the matter is, there are um, nine thousand, and this is published by this the sort like the tribunals of Ontario. They publish this every year. There are nine thousand applications by tenants, uh, um, you know, against landlords for whatever issue there is. There are. Eighty thousand
0: by landlords. Almost ten times, yeah.
2: And and you know what? Forty five thousand of those are non-payment of rent. Some of the media is just so biased against landlords. It is it is ridiculous, and it's not cool to be a landlord. Let's like let's let's call it what it is, right? but it, it's the most profitable.
0: <laughs> so so to add on to that, interestingly enough, so I was published on Toronto Life, like my article, how I bought 20 properties in two years, two and a half years, whatever that was. Um, and the amount of feedback, so Toronto Life, they said, hey, Austin, we're going to go ahead and publish this, but I want to let you know, you're going to get a lot of haters. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And within the first hour, the amount of death threats I got pff, blew my mind. Like they're just like, Will kill you. Will find you. Blah 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 blah. Then I, I, they started attacking my personal page. I, I wasn't really offended. As it, it is what it is. And I, I, I try I trace back the source, and I found the landlord hate group with thirty thousand members in it. I think it's either in Ontario only or maybe Canada wide. All they do is share landlord Facebook pages, and they go and attack the landlords. Despite knowing anything about their business model, people automatically assumed that I was a slumlord. right? But I renovate properties, I add secondary suites, legal secondary suites. You're creating
2: housing for people. And like, you're creating more legal housing for people. You know what, like, people don't talk about that enough. Like, we really do have to do a better job at showing that, like, this is what's happening. Like, you're getting that's, that's unfair. And like, it's, it's like, it's harassment, right? But you can get away with harassment, because you're a landlord and they're tenants. And it's okay like i don't know man like it's it's crazy like um the 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 skewed view that we have of what's good and what's not like <laughs> what we should and shouldn't do but anyways like I, I think that the thing is that all of those people in that in that group if they really just changed their focus and focused on how they could do it themselves, they could improve themselves, right? They could do it themselves.
1: So uh, Quentin, yeah. um, we'll go into our rapid round questions, which it's not so rapid, but <laughs> um, I think we might've covered parts of this in the past, but you know, where do you, where do you think we're gonna be seeing you or what, what are your goals for the next five years?
2: Uh, so I, I have my goals written down. So like uh, I, I'm, I'm focused, uh, Right now, I'm focused on growing my real estate portfolio. I I want to uh, grow to 200 units, um, so I'm focused on, on doing that over the next five years. I I'm I want to buy another uh, buy into at least two to five more businesses. Um, and invest in them and help that those businesses to grow. Uh, I'm looking at um, increasing, you know, work, like, this is, these are just on my financial side. I could do this for eight other categories, but I'm just going to share the financial ones. Cause that's what I think you're about. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm looking at increasing the, like uh, the depth of the, the ways that I hedge against my real estate portfolio. So investing in us properties and getting us income um, looking at uh, Option trading, um, you know, scaling that up a little bit more, um, you know, doing some uh, more investments in uh, precious metals, um, Bitcoin, things like that. Like I, I'm looking at that from a five year perspective, growing in those areas in my financial category. OK, just the, I do this for every category. So that's the financial com- the components of it. <laughs> Very that's
1: awesome. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just curious here, like. What, what type of businesses do you invest in aside from the real estate investing business, like anything that you can share there? Obviously, there might be things you can't, but, but.
2: Uh, I've, I bet I have invested in a business that just got listed on the TSX. And I, I can't really, you know, uh, talk too much about it because I can't actually sell my shares and uh, can't do anything with it for uh, six months. But, you know, uh, so that was a uh, successful exit. I'm investing in another company that's a tech related company um, in the, um, uh, um, the real estate space. Uh, and I can help them to give them feedback and connect them and, and do that. Um, so you know, those are the type of things that I'm I'm interested in on the uh, business side. I, I we were in a storage facility. I had a storage facility uh, partnership with a, an active business partner that ran the storage facility. So I I do um, I'm invested in in different things, and th- those are the business side of things that I'm interested in. And And I'm part of the entrepreneur organization, and it's like an international organization. So I get to connect with lots of different business owners over over the time, like over, you know, uh, the time of being part of them. And, um, you you know, those, there are lots of um, really cool business owners that I'd love to to work with and partner with. So, um, you know, having seen some of the business models that are out there, it's pretty, really neat, right? Really great stuff. But those are the some examples anyways
0: that's awesome um the second question is if you won 10 million dollars today and you had seven days to spend it you cannot spend it all on real estate not all of it on real estate right how would you spend that money
2: what do you mean like by spend it like do i have to go blow it or can i like invest it
0: you can invest it you can give it you can give something family friends charities anything, anything but within seven days within seven days yeah
2: so within seven so what i would probably do because i'm just going to mess you all up is i would probably buy a large multifamily building with cash quickly and then get it done and then i would start leveraging that so (laughs) then i would give myself like whatever 60 90 days to take that that, and then flip it out and then just buy
1: a conditional just buy a conditional and then back up, lock it up seven
2: days gone (laughs) Bought the building now i've got myself like let's say it's a 50 unit building right yeah well done then i go back and i get lending on that right and take that take that money out and then i would start putting it into different areas like i would put it into like buying businesses uh you know precious metals uh bitcoin option trading you know, um, you know, investing in people, um, you know, giving back like uh, uh, we do the Durham Basket Brigade, which mm-hmm. I, I, you know is a like something that I, I really enjoy. Um, you know, I want to start a charity as well. So all of those things would, would and I would. But if you said I had to spend it, that's what I would do. Quick.
0: We have to add caveat to this question, yeah, right? Yeah, I couldn't another
1: you just found a loophole. Yeah. That's what I do, man. I'm creative. I always
2: you give me something. I didn't even know the question. That I could yeah. come up with.
1: <laughs> all right Quentin if you could have dinner with any person dead or alive who would it be and why
2: Ooh, who would i have dinner with you know what uh dan Sullivan from uh strategic coach that guy he blows my mind like uh you know being part of strategic coach is great and like he is like the entrepreneur's entrepreneur right um he's just i find he's got these little books that like blow your mind every time you read them he just Um, sent off um, a book to all the people in strategic coach, uh, big book payoffs, right? Like, I just find that he he has so many little tools and systems and the way that he thinks, I think, um, you know, I like that. Um, So definitely, uh, uh, Dan Sullivan from strategic coach would be the person that I would want to, to sit down with at lunch and just absorb, like, you know, just like, be there and absorb his presence is is cool right Uh, you know this this is kind of the thing that that i would um that i'd love to do
0: that's awesome quentin thank you so much for jumping on today. It was a pleasure having you on and you dropped so many golden nuggets. I'm sure our audience got a ton of value from it. If people want to, it's hard nowadays to reach out to you. I'm sure you're very busy, but if people want to get involved in what you're up to follow your journey or get connected with you some way or another, how could they do so?
2: So um, basically the the best way is, uh, Oh, I'm trying to promote my Instagram thing. Cause <laughs> <laughs> because Austin is just way better than me. So, so it's a Qman REI, Qman REI on Instagram. Um, also, you can reach out to uh, uh, me uh, at, uh, we have a phone number at Durham REI. It's a one 358 3734 or um, uh, check us out at uh, DurhamREI.ca. Uh, That's a easy way to do it. And we have um, members from everywhere. So it doesn't mean that we're just in Durham. I have to qualify that sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember those events you would give an award to who's the furthest person who commuted over and you have people five, six hours away commuting over to the event.
2: Yeah. Windsor, Ottawa, Kingston, we have the Kingston crew. They come out every meeting and they travel two and a half hours, like for an
0: evening meeting. And, you know, they're just uh, great people for sure. That's awesome. And, and quickly, that book, if someone wants to get a hold of it, the Action Takers Real Estate Investing Planner, um, just one more time, how could they do so?
2: Yeah, the, the best way to, to get it is to go to uh, actiontakerrealestateplanner.com and uh, use the code uh, RISE there for uh, uh, $10 off that uh, uh, book
0: package. Awesome. And those will all be in the show notes guys. So if you guys didn't quite catch that, you can check it in the description. Again, Quentin, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, everyone make sure to like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you can to support this podcast. Gets great guests out like Quinton. Um, and until next time, invest smarter and live better.